0: Napa know
1: how. Right now, Mobile One Full Synthetic Motor Oil is $29.99 for a 5-quart jug. Its advanced formula provides maximum sludge protection, defending your engine like a catcher defends home plate. So get top-notch engine protection with the Mobile One Full Synthetic 5 quart Jug for $29.99. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa Know-How.
0: Napa Know-how.
1: General State's pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 9-30-18.
0: Log Talk Radio. Hey, hey, radio. hey, 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 I radio. I radio. hey, hey, hey. All right. Hey, hey, Season 9, episode hey, 1. The
1: 2017 hey, season. It's time. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, 3K, Joe McAtee, here with Mice. And you on the line, man?
2: I'm here, man. Good to be back.
1: Look on the at show. that. We figured it out. Look at this! I know, right? I feel like a genius. Whenever I figure new technology, anytime you figure it out and make it work right, it's it's like the I am Man. I made fire. I feel <laughs> Exactly. What's going on, Myson?
2: Oh man, not much. What's going on with you, Mister Busy Man?
1: I've been busy. Going to be busy. It's going to be a very busy summer. A very busy fall. I was looking. I was already planning out today. I was telling Bate, Yo, Week One, College Football. He's like, oh, I think I'm going to Myrtle Beach. I'm like, no, you're not, Don. Myrtle you know, Beach reserve time. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even ask. I was like, no, incorrect. We got it's fried foods, it's meats. He's in charge of beer. That's the way it works. So I'm, I'm already, already planning things out,
0: man.
2: There's tailgating. Like, he why go to Myrtle Beach when you can have the same party in a parking lot?
0: <laughs> <I feel laughs> Just you. makes
2: sense. I
1: feel. You. See, I'm I'm not, I, the whole, I'm not a beach guy, so I don't even know. I know you're the the snorkeler. I see the picture. I don't. I don't have that a was, lot of beach experience.
0: That was experience. scuba
2: diving, actually. Get it right. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: that tells me how little I know. You only are here snorkeling, man. That's a scuba. I'm
2: snorkeling. Buried underwater, I'm snorkeling, <laughs> breathing <laughs> through a tube.
1: <laughs> I am not beach educated. Well. Let's see. It's been a minute since our show. Radio we've uh, retooled some things. Josh and producer Scott have moved on to bigger, better things. We wish them the best, but the show must go on because the Los Angeles Rams must go on. Um, yes, sir. And it's been a hell of an off season. Where, where, where do you want to start? Oh
2: man, it has been a hell of an off season indeed. It's like every time you turn around. This is the first off season. I actually was thinking about this. It's like this is the first off season, and I don't know how long. Where the Rams were actually relevant to some degree as far as media goes, mm-hmm. like you constantly seeing the Rams in something, you know, like that never happens. It's like the end of the season; you hear about them a little bit during the draft because Les need is always making some type of trade, and you don't hear about them. Sir Kemp, when something goes terribly wrong, <laughs> whether it's a a Bradford ACL or suspension or something, you know, so that's just kind of how the off season, you know, you get accustomed to them going. But this year, you got. Deshaun McVay hiring, you got Aaron Donald holding out, you got the messed up Tremaine Johnson situation. Couple of couple yeah. no, of one suspension, maybe another one on looming. Like it's 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 been a interesting Ramsfield off season, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, well, let's start with those uh the those off field issues. Uh yes. Tyler Higbee, obviously it's uh, an issue since before he was in the NFL we covered that this week. Uh, what, what do you what do you think Kyra Higby is looking at in terms of his role in the team in 2017, and how this may not affect it at all, or or if you think it's going to have an effect?
2: I mean, I think his role won't change. I mean, he's too much of a weapon, isn't he? Like, it doesn't really make sense. Like, that would be the worst thing that you could do as a first year head coach. Oh, I'm you know, I'm going to take one of my you know more skilled weapons and throw him to the side because of some stuff that happened before he even got to the NFL. I see. It doesn't even make yeah. sense, <laughs> you know. That's just kind of yeah. silly to me. But that's kind of the world it is with the NFL, right?
1: Yeah, and it, it's interesting because between Higby and Gerald Everett, you you would think that Sean McVay's got the two guys that he wants to, you know, for for a tight end centric passing attack. He's got the two guys right. that he wants to use at the front of that. Um, what? Where do you think they? If, if you kind of line them up with the wide receivers. who who do they kind of supersede? Are they more important? They're probably not more important collectively than, let's say, Robert Woods. Uh, Where do they rank in kind of that passing target hierarchy, do you think?
2: I mean, I think they kind of have to be up there at number one, you know, because they really open up the thing for those receivers Uh, in this offense, at least. I can understand, like, some offenses, you know, the tight end is sort of that safety net, but, they're more so the ones who create safety nets for other team, for other players. Right. Um, as far as if you're going to make a pecking order, you're probably going to go your tight end one is number one, and your whatever wide receiver, no matter if it's Robert Woods or Tavon Austin, C- Cooper Cup, whoever it is, that's going to be your number two target, and number three is probably your other tight end. You know, so I, I definitely think they're going to get a lot of targets this off uh, this season. It doesn't really make sense to. Mm-hmm invest into a tight end like you look at your you look at your roster you say okay well they have tyler higby super super talented there's no question and i don't think too many people's minds that he's probably a second round pick if he hadn't gotten in trouble right before the draft you know so you i think it's a safe bet to say that you probably have two at the very least second round t- pick talent at the tight end position you know that's clearly where the focus is why why would you why would you not use that, especially when you had so much success with it in your previous tenure. So I think the tight ends are going to get a lot of targets. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make up 35% of the receiving yards this year. Yeah, it's going to
0: be
1: interesting. That, I mean, obviously, we
2: know no, guys. No, I was just going to say, not saying that there's going to be a lot of passing yards, but right. <laughs> no, whatever there sure. is, they're, they're probably going to make up about 35% of it.
1: Started from the bottom now we hear, but yeah it, it, it what, you mean you go back to two thousand and fourteen, Jared Cook led the team in targets and receptions, so you know we we've seen and it, it it's not a quite cre- it's not a very, very different wide receiver group than what they had last year, yes, they added Cooper cup and Josh Reynolds, but right. and, and got rid of Kenny Britt and brian quick, so they, I get it, there's turnover, but you still got Tavon Austin, you still got Tyler Higbee. you still got Farrell Cooper, you still got Mike Thomas. All those guys could factor to some degree. So it'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, that uh, that news on the Tyler Higbee front wasn't uh, the, the most enthralling. I guess uh, perhaps more concerning was Mike Thomas, man. Um, TED suspension, going to be four games, uh, still be able to practice throughout and be able to play in the preseason. What I mentioned in the story, though, is that y- you wonder if, that, you know, if if Mike Thomas was getting some snaps with the ones and a lot of snaps with the twos, if maybe that changes because he's going to be unavailable for the first month of the season.
2: I mean, it's a valid question, isn't it? I mean, you got a guy who you know you won't have available for a whole month, and you have to get ready for the season. You, you're loving what you're seeing from him up until this point. You see, like, you see the talent there. You see why there are a lot of people calling him someone who kind of flew under the radar in his draft, you know, falling to the sixth round. You can see the talent there, but if he's not going to be available, do you really want to use too many reps on someone that you're not even going to play when the season starts? You know, you kind of got to get the guys who's going to be on the field ready for when the season starts. That's the whole point of training camp, getting those guys ready for the kickoff. Um, but at the same time, if you're not going to cut him, you know you're going to keep him. You don't want him to be completely out of the loop, especially since he can't practice. I think that's why I always say I think suspensions are one of the hardest things a coach has to go through because the choices that you have to make as far as divvying up like the, that those practice reps uh, in training camp, it's hard because if you have a player, let's say that this suspension was Todd Gurley, you know that there's no way in hell that you're going to cut Todd Gurley. You know he's yeah. still going to be there, you know, but – you also want to keep him fresh and ready, and know the plays, especially learning a new playbook. So you don't want to take away all his reps during the little precious time that he has to learn them. But at the same time, you know you still have to get these other guys ready to step up in his absence. So it's real. It's it's like the hardest situation that you can put a coach in, and that's kind of where it is right now. I don't think Mike Thomas is going anywhere. I don't think that there's any reason to fear that he's going to suddenly be cut, especially on. Yeah, you're this high on Mike thing. Thomas. I am high on this. I am high on, but this team, you know, if this was another team, you know, the odds of him sticking around probably would be cut no matter how high right. I am on him. But this team here is not like there's just an overwhelming flow of receiver talent who just really steal the show, you know. So it's like I don't think he's going anywhere, but at the same, time, I don't think he's. I think what you're kind of alluding to as far as his reps going down and how much time he yeah. gets played, I, I, th- I think it's going to get cut pretty decently because they have no choice. I think but,
1: it's yeah, a, it, I know. I, I, yeah, I know. You like you. like you some nice comments. That's good. Uh, you, I think it, it's important for everybody to have, you know, sincere opinions. And I can tell that's coming from a pace of sincerity. What What I think is interesting is when we sincerely learn, if if we ever do, which kind of a, a transgression this was. Was this something where he was trying to get away with a banned supplement? Was it was something exactly. that he took and didn't know? You know, th- there's a couple different categories for these kind of things, and without knowing that, it's hard to feel like, yeah, I saw a lot of people saying cut him immediately. Well, it may not have been a disciplinary issue. It may have been one of, you know, ignorance or kind of just poor business decisions a lot of times is what I might call them, yeah. where people are, they're not, they're not being diligent enough with, you know, however many supplements they're taking. A lot of these guys are on all kinds of stuff, you know that. Exactly, um, they are. <laughs> going to be interesting to see. Where, where do you have him in the pecking order with the wide receivers right now?
2: Right now, I think he's. I think he's sitting pretty. Pretty at number four. Um, I, I believe <laughs> Cooper Cup is their. Their number three. Uh, Cup, Tavon Austin, Cup Robert Woods, eight, Woods, Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Those. Those are going to be the top yeah. three. Uh, I think that he's sitting pretty fo- at four. But I'm also. I'm really not sold. Just kind of like going back and watching a lot of that. Washington offense and how the rotation worked. I'm really not sold that once you get past the top 2, you know, when you look at Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon, they were on the field a lot as the one yeah. and two receivers. Then the number 3 receiver, Jamison Crowder, he was in and out, you know. There was a lot of mixing up. He he likes to switch that number 3 and use different types of uh uh receivers, different skill sets. You, you'll see a smaller, quicker receiver, still a bigger, stronger receiver in the slot. He mixes it up so much. That's why I'm not 100% sold that Cooper Cup would just dominate that third. Or maybe it's not Cooper Cup, but one of those top three receivers is going to come off the field more often than I think people might expect. And that's why I say mm-hmm. that I think whoever wins the, the number four spot, whether it's Mike Thomas, Farrell Cooper, Nelson Spruce, whoever it is, I think they're going to get more reps, games than people might expect stealing some reps from the third slot or whoever that may be.
1: Yeah, I brought up the stats for Washington last year. You had Garcon uh, and Deshaun Jackson each crossed 100 targets. Jamison Crowder was just there at 99. The next wide receiver after those guys was Ryan Grant all the way down at 19. Uh, It was Pierre Garcon, Deshaun Jackson, Jamison Crowder, then Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson running back, and then Vernon Davis. So yeah, beyond their top three wide receivers. Now, the other thing you got to note there, obviously, is that those guys stayed healthy all year. True. Uh, and, True. and, you know, injuries are freaky enough. Who, who knows whether it be Robert Woods or Tavon Austin or one of the younger kids uh, to lose time. But, yeah, certainly looking at last year at least, that, that was a three-man rotation for the wide receivers pretty much. And I think that sets up, you know, I guess if we're segueing into training camp, uh, maybe the most interesting position battle. Do you think wide receivers the most interesting position battle this year? I don't.
2: (laughs) I think I'm alone on that, too, and it's funny. I really don't. I actually think the most interesting battle, and you mentioned one of the names why I feel this way, Chris Thompson. I think the most interesting battle is the backup running back spot. I really (laughs) do. Like, the backup running back spot is going to get a lot of clock. Like, I really, really think that. So it's like when I look at this, when I look at the battles just kind of across the board, I think that backup running back, he's going to, they're looking for a guy who's going to make plays. Like, they're not looking for a guy to just. Your running back give him a little breather, change of pace. No, they want you to go in there like and use your small opportunities to make plays, and that's what Chris Thompson did for them. You know, was he a great runner? No, but he made a lot of plays receiving the ball, and I think that's kind of what they're what they're going to be trying to sort out with this running back uh, this running back room. It's, it's it's a crowded room to not have any names, if that makes sense. <laughs>
1: there's, there's yeah, a it's an interesting committee. There. You got
2: exactly yeah. You
1: obviously got Tom Gurley at the top. Yeah, you got Todd Gurley at the top. You got Lance Dunbar, who obviously came in free agency. Uh, the two holdovers from last year were Malcolm Brown and Aaron Green, and then the young cats are Leonard Tillery and Justin Davis. Yeah, I mean, you, you assume you assume Lance Dunbar has some edge there, but if he if he's stuck as a role player, he may not be the kind of guy that gets you know carries, right? Or, or really figures what? as a as a backup running back, he may be more of a situational one. That that deal between Aaron Green and Malcolm Brown, I don't have a feeling. If any one of those rookies takes off in the preseason, it, it, I mean, you're right. It could be a hell of a battle for the backup spot.
2: And that's exactly kind of what my my mind is because we you really you see the, the 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 talent that you you have in um in the younger backs Justin Davison, Leonard Tillery. You see that they got you know a little explosiveness to their game. You know they both can run. We elusive. They both can get out in space and move. And I think that space thing is huge because of the fact that they do like to throw the ball to the back. You know, and if you can't move around in space, how are you going to run routes? <laughs> you know, so even if it's something you're not accustomed to, they're probably looking at it and saying, well, this player moves well in space. It's something we could teach him. He has the skill set to learn it. You know, so yeah. I thought I'd say those two players, especially Justin Davis, he's a bigger back that can move, That's, but he doesn't play like a bigger back. He plays like a smaller back, you know. About six one, but has a little bit of receiver height to him, and he has a decent hand. So why would he not be a good, good surprise to pop up out of nowhere in camp and maybe still, still a spot in still a spot back there in the running back room? So I think it's going to be real interesting to see how this all plays out. But I definitely wouldn't sleep on Aaron Green because you know that's kind of something that he was known for coming out last year. So it's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting battle. I think that we're going to see a lot of clock. Oh, God, getting split up amongst those uh, younger backs.
1: Yeah, that, the only Southern football, obviously, that's sort where of Len Artillery went. The only Southern football games I watch every year is the Bayou Classic. My family's from Louisiana, so the Bayou Classic is a must. But you don't watch it for the football. You watch it for halftime. So I, I didn't see much Tillery <laughs> in college. I saw a lot of the drum line. I, I, saw, I, don't think I ate anyone a lot. Saw I ate much
2: well tillery. while we played. I don't think anyone saw much Tillery before saying, okay, well, this kid just got signed. Let me go figure out who he is. <laughs> I don't think he's going saw much of him
1: before that. Somebody we did see a lot of uh, last year was Shumaine Johnson. The quarterback battle is going to be interesting. <laughs> New guys, Kayvon Webster, Nick L. Roby Coleman, although obviously he's going into that specialty zone, which may kick out LaMarcus <laughs> Joyner, is into a safety. We'll have to see how that depth chart looks at the top when we get to camp. Go got EJ Gaines around. Uh, you got a lot of depth there, man. Mike Jordan, Blake Countess, Troy Hill, who got some time last year, Kevin Peterson, Arian Penton, the Missouri kids there, and Dominique Hatfield. That's going to be a big battle, too.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. I think and what makes the cornerback battle so interesting is the fact that, you know, it's like every other slot is open. So, you know, the number one yeah. slot is going to be Tremaine Johnson. But then number two is an all-out battle. You have no clues number two. You look at the third spot there in the corner and the slot. You know Nickel Roby. You know he's got that on lock. And then you also know that Lamarcus Jordan is going to come slide down from time to time. But then you look at the next spot after that, and it's wide open again. So it's like every other slot is just a battle. So it's going to be it's going to be one of those uh, intense situations where something that something like an injury if an injury happens things are going to get really yep. interesting or if uh or you or one of these young guys could really surprise i think that it's uh troy hills suspension opens it up even more considering of all the cornerbacks on the bottom half of that depth chart he ha- by far has the most experience so him getting hurt just really opened up the window for all of these younger uh corners like the arian pantons and uh, Mike Jordan's you know th- those guys are really going to have the opportunity and Kevin Peterson too I think he's kind of one of those sleeper names that the Rams are really hoping can step up you know so when you look at uh, Troy Hill getting suspended and he, you know you got Kayvon Webster and EJ Gaines battling it out over there it's going to be an interesting battle all, all camp and I'm really interested to see what they do in the preseason games because I think that when you have those type of battles where it's so wide open across the depth chart you start to see guys playing a little deeper into the second half and uh, playing more in the fourth quarter to really try to give them opportunity to separate themselves and see who can step up, you know, alternating series and things like that, getting more film on them. So we might see the, we might see the, uh, the EJ games and the Kayvon Websters of the world on the field a lot more than what you normally would with guys who are at the top of the depth chart.
1: One thing I always say when we get to preseason action, second half special teams are no joke. Those dudes <laughs> are fighting for their professional lives. That is some serious Man, special teams the
0: worth. And you <laughs> that know that cornerbacks
1: are going to be involved in that. Um, what else are we looking at for training camp? We've got the wide receiver battle. We've got backup running back, cornerback. Any other battles you think are going to be in this? Do you, do you think there's any possibility of a legit golf manion battle or, or is golf locked in until we get to the regular season to, just to see how he does? you think there's any chance of a golf manion battle?
2: Golf is definitely locked in. Um, now, when I yeah. say that, is I don't say that with the conviction of he's locked in and there's no removing him, because anybody can yeah. lose a job any day unless you are Tom Brady or you know somebody of that caliber who's who's proven themselves and they have it on lock. But let's not forget, we all saw Peyton Manning get benched. <laughs> you know, so no matter how big your name is, if you're not playing good right. far, you can lose your job. <laughs> you know, and uh, golf. I think that, you know, just like any other young quarterback, every young quarterback that ever come into the NFL that didn't play up to par has been benched. It didn't matter how high he was drafted or who you were, how much they liked you, you, you can definitely lose your job. So I've never put it past it happening, uh, especially with a coaching staff that really has no ties to him. They can do whatever they want. He's kind of he's kind of on a trial, era, trial period just like everyone else. Uh, I do think that no because of his status and – uh, being the most naturally naturally gifted thrower, you know, you have to say, yeah, absolutely, hell yeah, he's the, the number one guy on the depth chart. And hell yeah, that's who Sean McVay is most interested in uh, having lead this team. But if he goes out there and he does anything at all resembling last year, I don't think that Sean McVay yeah. hesitates to pull him and throw, uh, throw Sean Minion out there. I just I don't think that there's a hesitation at all.
1: It's going to be interesting to see how that develops because, you know, that this time last year going into the preseason, it was a different uh, situation, right? Was, we had committed to making sure that Jared Goff took his time and that the yeah. the franchise wasn't going to rush him in. Now this year it's almost the opposite. It's like, yeah, no, he's getting pushed in. Whether he's ready or not, he's at the top oh, of yeah. his depth chart, and, and he's well, going to have to play his way out, which, it, which could happen.
2: Well, when you don't have that uh, veteran, you know, where you can kind of lean on – you know, you can say whatever you want about uh Case Keenum. Case Keenum was a, a smart quarterback that was a damn good leader. You know, and if you have those two qualities, at the very least you can be a competitive team if you have those two qualities at your quarterback position. Might not be the most talented, biggest, fastest, strongest, any of that. But if you if you if you got the brain, you got the, the if you got it from the neck up and you got the leadership ability to get the everyone else to buy into you, even though you lag those other things then, yeah, absolutely, you have a chance to fight. Jared Goff, on the other hand, he obviously had everything else but needed to build the rest of that up as well as learn the smaller details of playing the position so you have the opportunity to lean on it. But this year, you you don't have that. And, you know, that's why I think it's good that everyone's kind of – the players specifically are raving about um, his preparation, you know, this offseason, the, 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 the energy he's putting into – being prepared and being ready for this season, I think it's a good thing because as we saw with Jamon Brown, for example, when he kind of caught out Ty Gurley at the end of last season, players, they're they they they're watching. And if they see something that's not right, they're going to say it. They're, they may not always be as blunt as J- Jamon Brown was, but they're not going to be so as uh, fluffy when they're talking about it. And they'll kind of give you the cliche, oh, yeah, you know, he's putting in work. <laughs> you know the the nonchalant but these guys are excited when they talk about him. they're talking about him in detail you know they're really going into it like hey he's doing this this and this and I love how he's throwing this these many routes with me on our off day you know he he wants to go do this so when you hear those things I think that gives you reason to be excited that there's improvement I fully expect improvement but I'm not crazy about the idea of you know oh he's going from the worst quarterback in the NFL to Pro Bowl Like <laughs> That's probably that's probably not being realistic, you know, and uh, realizing that he's getting better but still has a long way to go. That's kind of where you – that gray area where you say, okay, Sean Mannion could definitely slide in there if he goes too dark into that gray area.
1: You mentioned veteran quarterbacks. Two words, Michael. Free agent. <laughs> Two more words. Sean Hill. I'm just saying, man. I'm just saying, if you needed a veteran, if you wanted reunited, if you wanted to shake things up.
2: And it feels so good. <laughs> the Reunited. <Surefire laughs> Sean
1: is waiting for a call.
2: Oh, man. I mean, unless he can play as well as what game did he play good in. Oh, well, damn, that answered that. So, <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Could, Couldn't think of an example at all. <laughs> at least, uh, about at least Kate, we can't. Pre-
1: yeah, we talked about the pressure on Jared Goff. Where, you talked about backup running back. How, how long is the leash for Todd Gurley?
2: For Gurley, I would say that and, ah man, it's crazy. I don't think it's as long as it would be on, say, a team like the Titans. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: you look at the Titans, they're going to pound the ball. You know, and they're going to run it no matter what. The way they ran the ball last year, that's what a lot of teams wish they could do. You know? But, but then you look at you look at a Sean McVay offense. The one thing that I think that uh, people haven't really taken into account when they talk about a Gurley bounce back is McVay didn't really give a lot of opportunities for running backs to get going. You know, especially when you're at the top of the depth chart, you're not gonna see Gurley running the ball twenty five times a game. It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think he, I don't think he has more than. 16, 17 carries a game. That's just the truth. I think his his total carries are going to drop significantly. You know, he might finish the season with somewhere around 210, 220 carries, which is going to be way different (laughs) from what uh, he's used to. How he handles that will be interesting. Um, I think that's going to really dictate how well he performs. You know, if he's handling – if he's able to adjust and accept the fact that there's going to be less carries, which – I think the mature mind will tell him, "Hey, this could be a good thing because it's taking pressure off of me. With us throwing the ball, defenses will have to get out of the box more. You know, if we're throwing the ball a lot more, so that would give him more lanes for his his opportunities. Even though opportunities are fewer, but as we saw last year, Gurley is not afraid to pout and mope if things aren't going quite how he wants. So I think Gurley right now is kind of his own worst enemy and to me that makes his leash shorter because he's not quite as important as he was, you know, he's not the focal point or anything like that. Now he's, he's kind of taking a back seat to Jared Goff. Like the, I think the keys have been handed off to Jared Goff, and they're moving forward with the idea of we're going to open this thing up.
1: Yeah. The thing that worries me about Todd Gurley was when things really started going downhill last year, he was kind of critical. He was the first guy, you know, he was the first guy, you know, well, middle school, high school offense. Yeah, uh, and you you got a sense of this in all or nothing too, where he was the one saying, guys, we got to do, we got to do this. Not necessarily pointing fingers at other people, but frustrated he took credit. <laughs> at the collective. Yeah, he never yeah. he never took credit. Now, here's what I would say: if McVay comes in and he's doing these other things on offense, and he and the offensive line's doing better, and Jared Goff is improving, and you got Gerald Everett, Tyler Higby, and some mix of wide receivers, and the, the offense ain't, this ain't gonna be a top ten offense. But it should be better than last year. If t- if Todd Gurley is still averaging fifty five, sixty, sixty five yards, and he opens his mouth, that's not going to work like it did before, man.
2: Oh no, absolutely. I mean, let's let's not forget last year, Hard Knocks. That was Jeff Fisher's baby. Nobody's allowed to touch thirty. His words, <laughs> you know, don't fucking touch thirty. Those was his words and kept. He meant it from the bottom of his soul, <laughs> you know. So. He was definitely uh, coddled to the point that he could get away with it. I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case this year. You know, uh, I really believe um, believe Sean McVay when he says the whole "we not me" thing. He's a little too happy to not be- to not really mean that. So if you're if you're kind of running around to uh, you're running around to the point where you're just yelling and talking about what everyone else needs to do and all this stuff, and you're never really taking any sort of credit for what's going wrong. You know, you're not taking blame. I don't think Sean McVay is going to be too thrilled about that. You know, Gurley, if he – if you see the same type of behavior anytime something doesn't go his way that you saw last year, I think there's a very good chance that Sean McVay is going to be like, okay, you know, we might need to move on from this guy in the offseason. You know, um, will they pull the plug in the season? Probably not. Uh, He's still the most talented back you got. And not not only that, but it would have to be before the trade deadline, which I don't think that 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 would even happen. Um, I think a lot yeah. of teams would trade for him, and I think you could definitely get some great value. Um, but I don't think it would happen before the season is over. But I do think that is more than a possibility that Sean McVeigh goes. You know, we need to go a different route. You know, um, you just look at kind of how the roster is shaping up right now. There's no rush to sign a Tremaine Johnson to a long term contract, even though he's your best corner. You know, there was uh-huh. no, there was zero rush to. Um, to try to baby Greg Robinson, even though there was a heavy investment in there, kind of how Jeff Fisher and his crew did. There was, you know, they're, oh, he's a second-round draft pick. Let's just keep him in there no matter what until we figure it out. No, there was absolutely not. There was like, okay, we're going to ship him out of here. You know, so regardless of what your draft status is or what your name is, I don't think Sean McVay cares too much. I think he's about putting the best guys on the field and trying to make it work. You know, he, he realizes I'm a new coach and I don't really have the longest leash in the world myself. <laughs> you know, I haven't proven anything, you know, so I don't have time to waste on guys who aren't going to get with the program. So I think Gurley has to get with the program.
1: Yeah, there was definitely a, a, a little bit of a, you know, you mentioned we, not me. There was a, bit, a little bit of a you, not we from Todd Gurley yeah. last year. And at exactly. the time, you know, he's Todd Gurley and it was a team failure. And so it was kind of appropriate and it didn't feel that bad. But at, at some point he's got, he's got to own his piece of it. And, and for somebody that's averaging less than 70 yards, a game over his last, what, 25, I think, contests. Yeah. It's just not going to be a good look if he's as publicly critical and as vocal without putting something on the field to, to earn some of that. But part of that's going to start with the offensive line, man. And, and I just don't know, going into camp, I know I know you know, Havenstein's kicked inside at right guard and Jamon Brown's at right tackle. When they put Greg Robinson at right tackle, the first thing I said is, okay, well, they're not done. I, I get it. He's there today uh, now. I thought yeah. Greg Robinson would make it to camp. I thought he would make it three months instead of three days.
0: But but <laughs>
1: I, I, don't, I don't know that they're done. I don't know that they're done setting everybody on the line.
2: I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I said the same thing. You know, I was asked, how long do you think before Greg Robinson loses his spot? I said, honestly, I think when, you know, when you look at the, the way the preseason is set up, when the third game comes, that's when all the uh, starters play the extended period of time. I think when that starting lineup walks onto the field, it's not Greg Robinson out there, you know. So I, I agree. I don't think – I never thought Greg Robinson was, you know, set in there. And I still – now I still look at it and say I think that this is the most likely to be the starting unit. But is it set in stone? Absolutely not. You know, there's still some question marks. Yep. I still have question marks about is John Sullivan really fully back? You know, if he's not
1: – One start in the last why, two years. Why? One start in the last two years. Exactly.
2: You know, is he really truly back? Have those injuries completely sapped his ability to be a good center? I mean, yes, he was one of the best in the league before the injuries and all that stuff, but is he truly back? I've seen injuries completely destroy careers, especially when you have such a long lag in between. You look at a guy who was recently in horns, you look at Jake Lone. He was a hell of a player before injuries. After injuries, he was never the same, right? you know, so it definitely happens. Um, and then also, I'm not cr- crazy about the – the idea of Rob Havenstein being at guard, I think that it could be a good idea because he's he's so big and massive in, in his rookie season, he showed really well as a run blocker. I think that he could be a mauler in there. Now, the, you know, it did come out after the season as it always does. You hear about what players was going through that wasn't reported. He was going through some injuries and things where he wasn't always a hundred percent in games, which might explain some of the fall off in his performance because it was a huge difference between his first and second year. But Uh, I I think that he probably is best suited at the right tackle, but I'm not 100% against the guard idea. So I I, I do think that this unit is the most likely to start. uh, One thing above all else, you have to put your starting line together early in camp and let them gel throughout camp so they're ready for week one. That is the biggest mistake that I think Jeff Fisher made regularly, was always switching guys around because he had in his mind, oh, you know, versatility is the best. There's no such thing as too much versatility. Let them get settled into a spot and play. And I think that, you know, if this is the unit you're going forth with, then this is the best thing to do. Let them get settled for once.
1: <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this Who's the backup left tackle?
2: <laughs> that is the million dollar question. Does, I
1: don't think it's anyone a big one, right? And, Andrew Winworth's 35 years old.
2: Anyone knows who's the backup left tackle? You know, that's a, that's a hard question. And it's something I thought about, you know, when you heard that uh, when you heard Greg Robinson was getting moved over, because when Andrew Whitworth originally got signed, I think the immediate thought became Greg Robinson is going to play either guard or he's going to be the backup left t- left tackle.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: right now, I would have to say it's probably Roger Saffold, as as has been for a while. You know, he's probably the guy. If something goes down, Roger Saffold is probably going to kick out because. You have Andrew Donnell, but I don't know if you really want him, you know, as the left tackle. I don't think that that's his forte. Uh, Pace Murphy, there's not a chance. in hell. I personally would throw him out there, you know. So, yeah, it probably has to be uh, Roger Saffold that would kick out. And then you would probably move, you know, throw in uh, Andrew Donnell or somebody like that in a guard. But, yeah, I I think the most suited and most qualified is Roger Saffold.
1: It's something I've been thinking about. I mean, part of what a lot of people are saying about the Rams offensive line is, oh, Andrew Whitworth is going to fix it single-handedly. He's going to fix all five no. positions by himself. <laughs> he, he's 35 years old, man, and I get it. He's been playing at a great level. He's a high-caliber, incredibly skilled tackle. He's 35. When the cliff comes, it's going to be quick. And if, if it comes via injury, like you said, I, I don't know that the Rams are any better off than they were last year. As, as bad as Greg Robinson was, that Greg Robinson was a starter for a reason. He beat out other people in camp, yeah. in preseason, in practice. So if the Rams need to turn to one of the guys that Greg Robinson beat out, I don't know why that's going to be any better for Jared Goff than anybody else. Um, oh, what, what else do we got? I mean, it's less than two weeks to training camp. What else you got on your mind with camp approaches?
2: Oh, man, with Kemp near, I'm looking at, like, we we talk so much about Tavon Austin and what's his role going to be and all this stuff, and I think that it's, it's it's critical that we acknowledge the fact that he had this wrist, wrist injury. He lost a lot of value. I thought, you're, time I thought you were going to
1: say we have to acknowledge that he's the third highest paid wide receiver in the NFL this year. I thought that's <laughs> what we had to acknowledge. <laughs>
2: Well, we got to acknowledge that, too. But what good is uh, what good is acknowledging that he's the third highest played player if he's not even healthy to be out there to show whether or not he earned it, which I think we know. But <laughs> I think we know. But uh, he still has to go out there and do something with Sean McVay. And if he's not even healthy, you know, this wrist injury, I think, kind of came out of nowhere. No one really saw this coming. He says himself he didn't even see it coming. He didn't even know. It was, uh, you know, something that required surgery. He said he got a physical, the doctor said you need surgery, and he said, okay, I'm not crazy about being so quick to say okay without getting more opinions, but, hey, (laughs) you know, usually when you don't know that you need surgery, most of the time it's not as serious, not to say it's never serious because it can be, but I I think they probably should have got more opinions, but we'll see. You know, he's missed a lot of time this offseason, so he's really behind the curve, you know, these young guys have really stepped up. You know, I think that they've, they've loved, obviously, what they've seen from Cooper Cup. They've, they've really liked some things from Josh Reynolds. And Mike Thomas, as we said before, before the, uh, the suspension, he's really taken advantage of these extra reps. And, he's, I mean, he's been that third receiver. You know, he's been that guy filling out the top half of the depth chart. You know, so if anybody's taken advantage of it, it's been the young guys. You know, and as the veteran of the group, you never. I think that you ask any veteran player of any sport, <laughs> their worst enemy is the young player because young players are hungry. They're coming in, you know. They have to prove themselves. You know, those are the guys coming to take their spot every year. If you're not healthy and you're not out there and you really haven't proven anything, and this is a new staff, so you haven't proven anything to them. You've proven that you can be an explosive playmaker. Yes, uh, that's one thing that you know. Regardless of what anyone says about Tavon Austin, you'll never hear me say oh, he never did – he hasn't done anything that he did in college. That's not true. Tavon Austin has busted out some huge plays. Too many plays called back through no fault of his own, but he's made a lot of plays through the return, receiving, and run game. You know, So I would never take that from him, but is he that consistent playmaker out there? Uh, no, he's not. You know, So that's why I say you, you, you can't be hurt with a new staff and not out there showing what you have and learning these plays. He lost some valuable time and. These young players are stepping up. So I'm really interested in seeing him him healthy and how he's going to um, fit in, you know, and how he's going to adapt to this new offense. It's going to be interesting because they've made it pretty clear what they want to do with him. You know, so the question has become, can he be that guy? Can he be in that Deshaun Jackson type role? And right now we have no answer because he wasn't healthy. The the player that was in that role this offseason – was Mike Thomas, and by all reports, he completely shined in that role. So, I think Tavon Austin, for the first time in his career in the NFL, he's got legit competition for his spot, and that competition is it's getting pretty thick, you know. So, him being healthy, I'm I'm really looking forward to that.
1: I think uh, maybe one of the less talked about plays that, in retrospect, was maybe the turning point for the season, and obviously all or nothing, is still on the mind um, was the play in Detroit where Case threw it right to him and it bounced off Tavon's hands and went for an interception. That's the kind of thing where if Tavon Austin is supposed to be a a guy who gets into space, gets the ball, and then picks up yards after the catch, that's not only the kind of play he has to make, that's the play he's supposed to make. And when you're not making plays you're supposed to make – that's, that's when, when people start looking behind you on the depth chart to say, if, you can't di- if your job is to be a vacuum cleaner and you can't vacuum, I don't care what other features you have, man. I don't care what other skills you got. If your number one thing is something you're not doing anymore, I- I'm going to the store. I'm looking for a replacement. And whether that's Mike Thomas or somebody else, I think and the fact that the Rams have drafted four receivers in the last two years tells you they've been shopping. Um, I can't. No, you know, I agree. The, the the big thing is now. You know, you're heading into Sean McVay's first training camp. That's going to be the theme, right? Is it, 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 it's 2017. The Rams are already back in Los Angeles. I think there is going to be an angle of how, how invested is Los Angeles still in the Rams? Last year with the novelty, there huge crowds early on, tons of excitement, tons of push. Now you got the Chargers there. You've got. The Rams, who have already been there, put up a 4-12 season. Jared Goff had the year that he did. It will be interesting to see how uh, local crowds respond to that, obviously coming off a Rams Fest this last weekend, where about 3,000 or so people reportedly showed up. But I think the dominant theme is going to be Sean McVay and and whether or not he can rescue Jared Goff. I think that's storyline 1A. Yeah,
2: absolutely. I mean, Sean McVay is in a situation where he can go down as, the quarterback whisperer, <laughs> you know um, that he he has that's where he is now. He has the opportunity to come in and the, show the world that Jared Goff is you know a really good quarterback and he's the right guy for the job. He doesn't Goff even have to be there, a
1: really good. Quarterback, he doesn't even have to be really if, good.
2: If he just has to improve, you know, if he can go out there and Jared Goff can look like a solid starting quarterback, I say I would say that Sean McVay wins. You know. If Jerry Goff goes out there, he looks like a solid starting quarterback. Now, what defines a solid starting quarterback? I think that's where the area gets a little gray because, you know, you got you have it's such, it's such a subjective question, you know, you're gonna get so many different responses. If you take away the favoritism or take away the the fanhood where there's a loyalty to you know, to be lenient, <laughs> you know, I would say that most mostly across the board to average it'd probably be somewhere around 3,800 yards, you know, probably give you 20 touchdowns and maybe can you, nine. Can you or imagine 10 in the Jared Goff throwing for 3,800
1: yards? Exactly.
2: <laughs> That's a solid quarterback, though, you know. But then again, you know what you saw from Jared Goff, and you're asking yourself, can he be that quarterback? Can he give you a 38, 20, and 10 season? Is that possible? Now, let me not say is it possible, but will it happen? <laughs> you know, will it happen? And so that's where the I think that's where the, the 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 gray area comes in. You know, you're gonna get a lot of people that says no, and you're gonna get a lot of people that's gonna say yes. You know, if if you can get something even close to that, I would say that Sean McVay wins. You know, if he can get something even close to a thirty eight twenty and ten season you probably you won. You know, now you've got you've got expectations high, you've got people excited about oh, he improved this much this year, what's he gonna do next year? You know, so now that thoughts yeah. actually in people's head. You know, so you you can kind of bring that excitement back to LA. You know, you can you can have fans really, really pumped up. You know, if you looked at the way the stadium was filled and rocking in the first home game, hell, the yeah. first preseason game <laughs> you know sure. If you can build that back up because it wasn't anything like that by the time they played the Falcons, it wasn't even remotely close <laughs> you know, so if you can get anything remotely close back to that you you've already won you know now you've just got to maintain that success, you know, maintain that winning streak that so to say, because it's it's not going to be easy, you know the, I don't care what anyone says about oh he was young or his line was this and that, and all this other stuff. he did not have a worse supporting cast. Than Sam Bradford in his rookie season, and and you know he, he he didn't have a worse supporting cast than what Case Keenum had in his nine starts, you know that. So yeah. th- at some point you have to you have yeah he that could have had a better line and he could have had better receivers, but at some point you gotta have to look at it and say but what was his fault, you know? And there was a lot yeah. of things that was wrong. You know you mentioned. Uh, Tavon Austin just, you know, completely messing up the, the the catch against the the um the Lions. Well, let's not forget Brian Quick was running Lance wide Kendrick. open in the end zone. Oh my, sure. Running running wide open in the end zone against the Seahawks, and Jared Goff just threw it in the dirt five yards behind him. It was like, how, you know? So those things can't happen.
1: And 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 the thing that that still sticks out as just a thought is. If Jared Goff is your number one starter in the preseason and number one starter all year, does he make that throw? Does he have the reps and the chemistry to turn that into a touchdown? And that might be the thing that works in his favor this year. The thing that works in Sean McVay's favor this year, and this is going to be one of those themes that I can tell I'm going to continue to harp on all throughout the preseason, is that Sean Sean McVay wasn't hired to make this team a winning team in 2017. No. He, 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 was hired to make it, he was hired to make it win over his tenure.
2: I mean, if I recall if, if, if correctly, if Sean, if Sean they, they gave Jay him turns a five-year deal, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, they, if, if, he, if by 2019, going into the new stadium in 2020, if the Rams are looked at as an annual playoff contender, they'll be looked at as a phenomenal hire. It doesn't matter. If the Rams could go 4-12 and 12 this year. If by 2019 this is a winning franchise that's competing for, you know, playoff runs, 2017 won't matter. And, and I think if you have that perspective – what 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 's most important right now is setting up future successes not not anything that could happen this year
2: and that's why I say you know you kind of have to temper expectations. I know people hate hearing that, oh you know you can't why would I temper expectations that 's my team, I want them to win it's okay to want them to win because you're tempering expectations doesn't mean you no longer want them to win, but you also have yeah. to realize probably not going to win <laughs> you know this these are some major hurdles that you're talking about. This isn't the 99 rims, you know, where you have the new coaches and you, you had all these new players and these new toys, and it's like that doesn't happen all the time where it clicks like that so fast. That's the the most rare thing you're going to see of in all sports, where it just clicks. You know, you watched, you for example, you watched LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh form a super team, and they couldn't win it all, <laughs> you know, they couldn't win it all, although you rewind it back to when they first got together, you heard everyone saying, oh, man, we, we, guess we all know who's going to win it, and they lost to a team that only had one superstar, Dirk it, it It's not easy to make it click early, you know, so when you watch Sean McVay come in, he's really, it's just an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle with a bag of rocks on your back, (laughs) a very steep hill you're going up, you know. So that's why I'm not sold on the idea of thinking that he's going to come in and just turn this thing around. It's not easy. These are professional athletes that he's doing it against, against a lot of coaches with a lot more experience under their belt. Like, it's not just the players that have to go out there. The coaches have to go against each other. That's why they have the phrase of being (laughs) outcoached, you know he's, he's, he's going to have a really, really tough time. And to expect a huge turnaround this year, I'm, I'm not sold on it. Can you see major improvements? Can you see things get better? You can have the exact same record and see a much better team.
1: And, and that's why one of the things and one of the reasons I'm going to have to harp on that going through the preseason is you see a lot of people saying, well, this team did this, and this coach took this 5-11 and team and turned them around. Well, if that doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that Sean LeVay did a bad job. Like you just said, you could have contextual improvement. He could he could do this with Jared Goff, and he could do this with the offense overall, and he can he can help Gerald Everett or Cooper Cup grow into this player in his rookie year. There's all kinds of ways to improve this team and still end up with a losing record. And it doesn't mean that he's a bad coach or that the Rams made a bad hire. He's not getting evaluated on this year. He's getting evaluated on where they are in 2019 and 2020, and if he's around for five years in 2021. Uh, that's the long tail. The short tail, man. We got training camp coming up next week. Uh, on the site, we're going to have uh, training camp previews galore. We're we're starting to turn. You can you can tell we're starting to turn a page in the in the roster preview series. It's been, you know, every year that we do this, it's a it's a bit of a haul. It's a, I'm not going to lie. I mean, when you're writing about guys at the back end of the 90 man roster, and you're like, who is this, and where did they who who am I writing about? That that can be it can be a little arduous. But we're starting to turn a corner the guys that are looking at the 53-man roster. So, coming up this week, we're going to have a couple guys like um, – who do we got? I'm pulling up the schedule right now. Guys like Malcolm Brown. So, we talked about the running back battle, Malcolm Brown. Cody Davis, yeah. Josh Force, Mikel Roby-Coleman, uh, Tameric Hemingway, third tight end, obviously somebody we're going to need to get to in one of these future shows, Bradley Marquez, special teams workhorse. So, we're starting to turn a corner on roster previews. Uh, a couple things I'll have before training camp. A depth chart and practice squad and 53 man roster projection. Uh, update my win loss projections and try to get those from the team. So it's, it's here, man. We finally made it. It took a damn long time, but we made it to the end of the offense.
2: To say it took a damn long time would be an understatement. <laughs> it seems like I yeah. think whenever you have something like a new coach that turnover, it builds excitement, you know, that you, because whenever you have a new coach, Things went horribly wrong, unless you have a Bill Cowher situation where the coach retired on top. But 99.999 infinity time is where things went terribly wrong. So you don't really have a lot of excitement at the end of that season. So when you get that new coach, it creates excitement. And with that excitement comes impatience, which makes for the longest offseason that you've had in a while. (laughs) I think that's kind of where fans are right now. You know, fans are ready for some football. They'll take whatever they can get. If it's just a regular training cap practice, fans are going to be happy about it, you know. So having it here, you know, a week away from really getting started, and you know, with the new coach, you get, they actually get to come in earlier than what other teams can. So it's like you get so much, uh, you get so much excitement going and built up. I think that when you start looking at the camp, I think you're going to see a lot of fans there. You know, it's going to be I think it's going to be really packed. You thought it was packed last year. I think it's going to be even more packed I hope.
0: this year. Yeah, there's
2: going to definitely be more packed, in my opinion, because even though fans were excited to have football back in L.A., fans had they – they'd seen what was going on in St. Louis with Jeff Fisher at the helm. There was a lot of fans who didn't want anything to do with Jeff Fisher. But now you have a fresh face sure. at the helm, you know, where there's a whole new level of excitement. So you have all those fans who are going to be there no matter what, a la Jeff Fisher, training camp last year. And then you have those same fans. Plus this new batch, who's like, okay, now I have a reason to be excited. So I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a pretty uh, amazing training camp as far as the turnout goes for how loud it'll be, fans coming up. It's it's gonna be interesting.
1: Getting into it a week from Wednesday, rookies report. A week from Friday, the veterans come in, and a week from Saturday is going down. 2017 Los Angeles Rams training camp. We'll be covering it here at Churchill Radio. It's your boy, Three K Myson. Hit us up on Twitter at 3k underscore at mighty or Meissen. That's M I G H T Y O R M I S O N E. Rewind the podcast if you couldn't catch that. I'm not going to repeat it, man. 2017. stuff. <laughs> hit us up. We're going to have stuff on the site uh, coming up all week, so it's going to be a good time. Myson, you got anything for the people?
2: No, I'm just I'm looking forward to the uh, this camp. I think it's going to be. Interesting. You know, we, we got some we got some good battles coming up and we got, I think we have a roster that's gonna be drastically improved, though the record might not always the might always show it. I think you're gonna definitely see a completely different team out there.
1: Good to have It's back dog. Let's do it.
0: Is off the Rams get down, so nobody's far. And don't you worry, what the rams are rapping when game time comes with back to zapping. We can't sing and our dance is not pretty, but we'll do our best for the team in the city. So get on your feet and clap your hands. Let's ram it right now with the LA Ram. Hollywood, happy Dodge City, tough. If you throw it my way, it's going to get rough. I like to ram it, as you can see, nobody likes ramming any more than me. They call me Zena, nobody just in Twitter. under this cool as a the- I come from the air,
2: looking for the sack. I don't stop coming till I put them on the back. Limousine with my moves are like dreams. They call me
0: the Demon on Special Team. I know how to rock from the toes to the head. When I pull the trigger, I'll knock you dead. I'm a mountain man from West VA. They call me Hurricane. and I can My stock. I catch what they told me and I like the block. I'm quick off the line as I can be, cause I don't want dick running over me. This is Baby place, and I don't yield. I'm a Texan fool on the football field. From the jersey shore to Baboa Bay. If you run at me, you'll have a bad day. This is RB, no speedball brown. Fastest man in the whole damn town. Cards and ladies are part of my creed, but more than that, I feel the need for speed. This is catcher, out to make a run. With shade done, I can catch a BB in the dark. So now you're ready and I'm sure you'll agree. The ramming is fun when you are ramming with me. Man, if Eric can't get it, I will and I can't. I'm strong as a calm, but I've got a brain, and stopping me is like stopping the train. I'm Carly, the general of the D. I make the calls, I'm the coach in LB. This motorcycle, this has got style and class. If you come my way, I'll knock you on your hands. Okay, it's The names intimidate i The path of my way, I'll see you later. Quick on my team the ladies agree. Before they know it, they'll ram it with me. The man. come on. Leroy is the name. I cover the corner. Interception's my game. Score more than anybody else on the D because I move like a cat as you will see. The guys call me tickets that of dicker, son. I lead the range. I'm the ram top gun. They say I'm as smooth as a runner can be. Even sweeter than the others are talking about me. I like to dance and have a lot of fun when it comes to ladies. Wanna brainy one. But enough about me. we hit a to ram it, you see. If you ram it just right, you can ram it all night.
1: Go Rams. There's a time and
2: a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures
1: and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18 Restrictions apply. See store staples.com slash 20 back for details.